no more wonderful days in the neighborhood? Well, we're gonna find out. We are in a time right now where there really are some serious problems going on in our world. And particularly when we look around our neighborhoods, we find that problems like depression, addiction, and suicide are increasing while simultaneously our tools to interact with people to really investigate and identify such great needs in our neighborhoods, they have been almost entirely stripped away. So we're going to be having a very serious conversation about that along with some other Bible studies and interesting conversations about strange things in the world. So thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure, and there are two others here with me in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And we do thank you for joining us here. We are a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy here in the Church of the Nazarene. And let's open up in prayer. Pastor Amanda, would you pray for us as we begin? Sure. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God of all good things, we thank you for your many blessings, for this blessing of time and technology that we can come and gather, uh, draw closer to you and closer to the community that you have given us. So be with us in the discussions today that everything would be glorifying towards you and the upbuilding of your kingdom. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, our format is going to be a little different today. Normally, we start off with unholiness today, where we talk about things that are a little lighthearted just to give us some break from the chaos of the week. But today, that is going to be moved towards the end of our program, and we're going to be adding in a new game. We play things like My Cellar Hold. We have different games we play for unholiness today. Today, we're going to be entering a new one called Giveth and Taketh Away. We know the good <laughs> Lord giveth and the good Lord taketh away, but oftentimes evil tries to counterfeit the things of God. And we're going to be looking at some interesting stories. And I know everyone's hungry for accountability in our world. And we're going to look at some fascinating and funny news stories and ask if we want it to be giveth or <laughs> taketh away. We need more or less of it in the world. So kind of some fun there. But anyways, let's get into our main conversation. And just to open up with a bit of a monologue, you look in the world around you and a lot of the networks within our neighborhoods, and I mean our local neighborhoods, the people who are around you in close geographical proximity, these have largely collapsed. We are in a time when problems with depression, addiction, and suicide, they are increasing while simultaneously our tools to interact with people and identify such neighborhood needs have almost entirely been stripped away. And the means by which we network within our own local neighborhoods have largely been taken away. This is a very, very big problem. And I, when I look around the world, I don't see a standard that is a clear defined goal that says things will go back to the way they were before. And we have to realize there are going to be long-term consequences with the events which are going on in our world right now. We have to figure out how to overcome this collapse of neighborhood networking and really revitalize the energy at the local level. Now, when we look at our nation on the broader scale, we find that we are in the middle of a battle of beliefs. And yes, this overflows into pop culture and politics, but there is a real deep spiritual crisis going on in our nation. And it is a real spiritual warfare, even though you may not always see twisting of heads and gnashing of teeth, though evidently get some of that too. Um, what we also find is that we need to combat this, and revival is essential to restoring our nation. Now, revival is something that spreads from local neighborhoods out rather than top-down policies. We've often been trained in our world to think in terms of top-down policies and outsource our hope and faith to the institutions that are in the political and civil sphere, but we need to change how we think and focus our minds, and we need to tune our eyes and ears for local revival, for this is actually how we change the world. You look throughout the biblical models. You can see even with Christ himself being born of Mary. 
You look at Zachariah Elizabeth, you go back to someone like Nehemiah. You even look with Queen Esther being a, a lone person who there in a unique position for a time such as this steps up to the plate. You go all the way back to Moses, you find that just a few people who are willing to answer the call of God, they can start a fire that ignites and it spreads to a lot of people. Now, when we look at our world right now, this brings up the conversation of third places. And our neighborhoods have had a total collapse of third places. And the third places are places that are neither your home or your work, but are a third place where you voluntarily go to interact with other people. Now, throughout human history, these places have been vital for the cohesion of society. They have been places like barber shops, storefronts, and even bars and pubs. Now, the church herself is a holy institution of God, and downstream from the church's main function, we find other functions like the fact that it too is a third place. Now, just taking a break from a monologue really quick, Amanda, do you remember, this is one of the first conversations we had, if not the first, wasn't it? Yeah, I, um, I, I don't think it was our first conversation, but it was our first one we did outside of the studio because we were down in Columbia, oh, right. yeah. and we recorded in front of a coffee shop. It was you and me. Um, outside and so yeah or this was very very near the beginning of of kingdom of the lagos we may have still been called tools for liberty at that point i think we were still called tools for liberty (laughs) at that point but yeah we were out literally at a place that is something like a third place but right now even what we were doing just a few years ago is is basically evaporated up yeah well i mean you can still go to coffee shops but um they're they're a little bit harder to navigate and and, um, communicate with people sure sure so The third places throughout history, they have been vital to assessing the needs in your neighborhoods. And the coronavirus did not cause the collapse of the third place. For a while, this has been going on where people have been self-selecting who they interact with as opposed to just naturally doing something local in their neighborhood. You know, in the old days, and when I'm saying old days, I'm not speaking about somebody from my youth, but going back a couple hundred (laughs) years ago, man, is kind of laughing over that me. Um, you know, in the old third places, you would find that people, they would come together, they would get along with one another across different generations. Even if teenagers wanted to rebel, they still kind of had to live within their neighborhood. They would still have to get along with their elderly. And middle-aged people, they couldn't just outsource their elderly to live in nursing homes or assisted living facilities. But all the different generations, they had to live together. They had to negotiate together. Farmers that didn't get along well, they had to learn to get along well a little bit. Um, People had to negotiate life with those they loved that were kin to them and also those that they may not love. And they chose not to marry into that family, but they still (laughs) live in the same town, so they got to get along to some degree. You know, we live in this modern day and age where this is gone. And this was even essential to the cohesion, not just of life for adults, but also how you raise children and would expose them to different things. We now live in an age where people, they finally tune who they deal with. They allow themselves to stay in teenage rebellion forever, if that's what they choose. We can travel past our local neighbors and not even know they exist. And we don't have to negotiate with one another at all. And worst of all, is the third places have been replaced by things like social media, but not only social media. You know, people can drive to go to a very finely tuned place that they want to go. Um, even churches kind of fall in this category. People want to go look for a certain thing in a church. They can go do that as opposed to supporting a local church. You know, the coronavirus has made this worse, but this has been something which has been going on for a while. And what is the worst thing about this is that it only allows the superficial and shallow matters of life to be put forth. I mean, that's basically social media and the great tools and skills that are used to find needs in your neighborhood. They've basically been gone. 
And this has ensured that only superficial and shallow means of communication are left functional, and all the face-to-face -face interactions we have are now muzzled to some extent. And this is not how we were designed to live, and this is going to have long-term effects. We, as the people of God, we have to rediscover the skills for networking in our neighborhood, and not only will this help us better minister to our people locally, but this is also the pathway to revival across the nation. Mm -hmm. So there's my opening monologue. I don't have all the answers for this problem. In fact, I really just want us to have a conversation about this out in the open where people in the audience, if they want to chime in on this, they can. Really, we've got to revitalize some things that are long lost. So without any other thoughts on that, I'll just open the floor. Um, I don't know who wants to respond first. It looks like Pastor Mike's got some notes over there. Well, you know, I think one of the questions that that I that that I, I ask as I hear exactly what you're saying is is um, is how important is fellowship to our culture, and it's extremely important. And uh, we know that we are somewhat at a at, with a culture dealing with tremendous amounts of despair right now. Uh, over the last 15 years, uh, those millennials, uh, well, that age group. Um, 63 percent have uh, let's put it this way depression has risen 63 percent and for those younger than our millennials depression over the last 15 years has uh, risen 52 percent with all that being said suicide of those same two age groups has uh increased 51 percent so there is this place of despair and again, I, th I think it was already somewhat going there. I don't think the, the COVID um, was the cause of it, but I do think it, ex you know, accentuated it or um, magnified it. And uh, we find that people need that interaction, I feel like. And one of the things that we see now is a, is a very egocentric culture. Um, some might even say it's consumerism, but even on social media, it, the focus is on oneself. However, when you go to those third places and, are, and, you, and you interact, it is, it's hard to stay focused on yourself. You, you focus on others and their situations, and we know that anytime um, the enemy can get you to focus on yourself and get into a woe is me type of place, then depression will often set in. So those third places that you're talking about, Dylan, the place where, um, you know, we go and gather and we um, we kind of laugh about it. You say on the front porch of the uh, store, um, all the old men used to solve the world's problems there. <laughs> Um, we kind of laugh about that, but there's a element of fellowship right there that is extremely um, important to the development of social skills. And there's there's something there that that we're hungry for fellowship. So the question becomes, what do we do? And I yeah. think acknowledging where we're at is the first start. Yeah, and sure. then trying to intentionally try to try to go to those. Uh, you know, places where we do interact more yeah. um, and be aware of that. Certainly. Well, and I think in this, and when we're talking about social media, it, oftentimes social media becomes kind of the low-hanging fruit to pick on when we discuss uh, the social woes of, of our world. And so we're not kind of just blindly blaming social media. Um, we are saying, like, it, obviously we're using it, um, but there has yeah. to be parameters on it because I do agree with Pastor Mike Social media tends to lend itself to be easier to be egocentric. Obviously, egocentric, 
being uh, self-absorbed is not a new problem, um, but it is a problem that has been um, exasperated because social media lends itself towards that. And I think, like you said, we have to address where we are. Uh, and some places are doing this, and um, I think for our own health and the health of our church, when we approach ideas and tools like social media, we create boundaries and systems within that social media for it not to be egocentric. How we present ourselves on social media, how we expect our congregation to present themselves. Um, and then, like you said, then we look for those ways that we can meet and meet safely uh, amidst of, of pandemics and social unrest or whatever it is. Because, I mean, again, the church has kind of looked at that question several different ways through the centuries and the millenniums of how do we meet in the midst of such troubling times. Um, but then even as we, you know, uh, Trinity's been meeting back now for about three months, um, our congregations have. And so we can kind of then that third place has come back for some of us. But even though we can interact with some of our regular attenders, we're still facing that question of how then do we reach out to our community? Yeah. And I think a lot of churches have been dealing with that question for decades. Yeah. Um, it's just now that COVID, whatever little means we felt like, okay, this is like a small avenue to reach out to our community and we're trying and we're trying and we're trying. But even sometimes because of COVID, that small avenue has been taken away or distorted or made a little bit more difficult. And it, it's, it's interesting. Like Pastor Dylan made, I think, a very good distinction of saying that the church is a third place and yet it is more than a third place. And so how do we in the midst of dying third places, retake that identity as a third place. But then not only that, but as a church move beyond just simply being another community sure. center. And, and so there, the, 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 the call for the church to be a neighborhood network or networking within its neighborhood becomes a small problem and also a big problem and a complex problem very quickly. And it, 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 it's, it's disheartening sometimes to try to figure out how to move forward. Pastor Mike? You know, I think uh, just as we're talking about the, the church and how important it is for fellowship, and it and like pa uh, Pastor Amanda said, it's more than just that third place. But, you know, uh, the church life has those formal settings, but it also needs those very informal settings yeah. where I think uh, here at Jolton, uh, Pastor Dylan, y'all used to on Thursday nights and still do occasionally come and just gather, and, and it's like all kinds of things going on, whether it be... Um, art, painting, all kinds of things. And in the midst of that, something beautifully transpires where just open conversations really happen and yeah. people are encouraged. And I think at that point in time, we are aspiring and thinking of something better than than just self-gratification. We are, we are focused on aspiring to the call of God to be there for others. Um, very, very um, um, inviting to come into that circum, into that atmosphere. Yeah, and you know, to the point when we look at everything around us, we do have to do quite a bit of investigating in our own neighborhoods. Pastor Amanda, you kind of mentioned earlier. For a lot of churches, these networks were already collapsing. It's not like coronavirus was the magic wand that came in, whipped its correct movement, and said the right words, and suddenly all this was gone. This only exasperated a, a existing problem. And one of the good sides of that is now that it is so apparent, perhaps this can give us a motivation or perhaps force us. You know, 
once you're cornered, you kind of got to fight back. <laughs> we really need to reignite the local neighborhoods, the local networks that we have. And, you know, our modern world and even social media and the news and the television, it all is kind of centered towards a macro examination of society where we look at everything that's far away and we care more about what's going on in Washington, D.C. than what's going on across the street. But perhaps realizing in churches how difficult it is to to know about what is going across the street because, you know, you don't see them at all. You don't see them at Dairy Queen. You don't see them, you know, out working in their yards or something like that like we may have in the past. Now we're kind of forced to to realize that revival happens from the local level. Mm-hmm. We've got to reignite the local networks and the local energy. And that's something that you had kind of said in our show prep of that, you know, reigniting those old networks. It's a difficult thing, um, and especially when many of us have never been trained to do that. Well, yeah, I think that's – sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I think that's the thing is – you know, I remember in my classes, and I remember having this discussion as a, a, a ch- child and as a teen within children's church and youth group, um, that there was this discussion of kind of the old way of evangelism, the old way of, of doing certain like church expansion and church growth about going door to door. That was the, you know, we're not doing that anymore, so we're finding new avenues. And then growing up and going into college and learning a lot of different things and a lot of good things, but also still leaving going like, okay, I've heard a hundred times we don't go door to door anymore, but I've not been kind of given a very solid, very theoretical stuff, but not very solid things to like hold on to and be like, you know, do ABC and that, you know, and again, there's a lot of reasons for that. And some of them are good reasons. Some of them are bad, but it is hard and you you reach out to people and you're talking about like seeing people doing their yard work and and i think the the one little block the 12 homes that are around trinity church the nazarene in nashville we know those people and i've seen them work in their yards and i've had conversations uh with them at their homes at my house and but it 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 becomes then where do we go from there where it's not just a like wave to your neighbor as you're you know running out like you're saying like where we go to where we want to be where we're driving out of our neighborhoods we're leaving that kind of intimate network how do we actually create community within our communities yeah oh that's just yeah pastor mike well I, I, pastor amanda said something many years ago when when she and i were pastoring together at, at trinity and that really has stuck with me and and she said you know we had the discussion that all pastors have. How do we, we, you know, engage people and get them involved? And she made this statement that it's it's not that they don't want to come; they just are not motivated. And and if you look, what demotivates people, I think, is is not uh, well. It's not a good sermon or good worship music or whatever. But I think this this also has bled over into our you know storefronts and and places is that if you look at how much we are taxed now compared when I was a child it's tremendous not only that it takes both parents working and they're spending less time with their family and their children and a lot of times their children in this sport and that sport our 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 people in our culture are exhausted mm-hmm. and yeah. and sometimes third places and that interaction has has gone to the wayside well because of several different things i don't know if it's yeah. just one but it could be and it could be you know the whole consumerism thing bleeding back in where you do have to have a you know a, a new car that costs more than than my first house for sure sure and <laughs> i think where we're at now is a place where we've gone into the area of emotional consumerism mm-hmm. 
where in our modern day and age, you kind of talked about tax and kind of the financial sense over there, but people are emotionally taxed right now. And for a while I've been saying just as Pennywise the Clown from the Stephen King novel and movies that are out there, it, you know, he likes his prey to be afraid of him because it makes them taste better. Well, the idolatrous God of this age, the spirit, the modern belief system and values likes to saute people um, with lives that have no meaning in order to consume them. And there is a huge lack of meaning in our world. And as we know from the Holy Scriptures, people aren't sanctified by a lack of meaning. That only demoralizes them. It only causes them to stay further and further down in the void. When terrible sins and things like that work their web around people, people don't have a natural impulse that that always wants to pull themselves out of that. They may be hungry for something else, but there's this interesting phenomenon where in our world, our our world is desperately hungry to be restored to God, but also desperately angry and hateful towards God at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it really does take a work of God and the grace of God to come and pull people out of that. And, you know, we've kind of spent some time on this. We do have some other segments we're going to get into. (laughs) But just wrapping up this conversation, um, you know, our technology has grown faster than our wisdom in how we use that technology. Um, We had talked about that before in the past and um, giving credit to where it's due. Pastor Amanda brought that up as being relevant to our conversation now. But we've got to return to face-to-face work where we are being visible to one another face-to-face because, you know, social media, it's bent towards the superficial. I put my best foot forward and you kind of compare your whole life. And of course, you know the negative sides in your life and you compare that to someone's best foot forward and it doesn't match out well. But, you know, back in the old third places, if you're together with a different family, you're sitting outside, you see how happy the young couple looks that just got married. You also know everything that went on. You saw the fits they had out in the yard. You saw the the um, fits they had with one another. You've seen them be covered in dirt and mud. You know that this is their special moment, and you're able to weigh that out across life, and you're not just seeing a glimpse of one positive thing versus all the negative stuff over here. You really are able to equalize your understanding of the world a little bit better. So any final thoughts on this before we jump to our Bible study in Matthew? You know, I just think that as we, we look at these third places and the interactions that takes place, there's an element there I kind of mentioned the informalness and, um, you know, there's something about us that naturally we need to to interact. And and so there is some I don't want to say bullying, but healthy picking. And in other words, um, Montgomery and Justin were wrestling at, at a volleyball match, laughing, having a big time. Now, they were not mad at one another. They were just interacting and having some fun. Uh, picking at one another. Now that doesn't work. You, you, that don't happen in a formal situation. <laughs> it happens in those informal situations. But I think the way we're wired, we're, we desire that in those those third places. And it's not always a a physical wrestling, but it is those dialogues that sure. are verbal that we we need to be able to wrestle with people and and enjoy. Yeah. And We've lost that, the joy. We in have that. we have mm-hmm. lost the ability to have differences with people and to debate with people and not take it personally. Like everything yeah. online, it gets taken to like a crazy extreme. Um and even out in our public sphere, like things it becomes all theater and we forget that you should be able to like argue with somebody and hash something out and then be perfectly fine and love them five minutes afterwards. That's actually a good thing for people to settle the differences like that. But now we're in a world where, you know, if it's not all sanitized, then you're like, oh, you're being negative. Don't bring that energy here. And it kind of mm-hmm. gets a little, you know, horoscope voodoo there for a second, <laughs> fake spiritualism. 
But we do have to return to these old networks. We've got to revitalize them. Um, Pastor Amanda, any final thoughts on this? Well, I think that some uh, we just finished up a series at Trinity about the the church swallowing life whole. All of life can be lived out within the life of the church. There's nothing that the the life of the church cannot touch um, and redeem if necessary. Um, and I think that's something we left off this past Sunday with. Now that we know this, that our lives are to be patterned after the life of Christ. How does that empower us to interact with our communities? And so now we're moving into a sermon series about the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is weighty and it is difficult. And I think sometimes that's that's also what can scare people from joining in because, you know, like Pastor Mike said, we're already exhausted already, let alone to add something else to it. Um, and yet even in that, and I know in our Bible study we're going to Matthew and not... but. Matthew's the one that uses this language, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Matthew also points us to uh, that Jesus reminds us that his burden is light, that there's still joy to be found uh, in that. And I think the church has to, like you said, recapture that joy, recapture that peace, uh, recapture the seriousness of, of, of the call of holiness, but also the, the joy that comes with it. And it's a balancing act sometimes, but it can be done. Little steps at a time sometimes. Sometimes it's big leaps, but I think for now, a lot of our churches are in the place where it's going to take a lot of faithful perseverance, and it's going to be tough, but it will be good. It will be good. And so we're going to be going to our Bible study segment, but stick around. The conversation we had now about the third places and neighborhood networking is going to come up when we get down to our giveth and taketh away game. <laughs> so it'll all be some cohesion throughout this program. But just wrapping it up, remember, local revival is something we've got to have eyes for. And if you really want to change things far away, you know, the world tells you to focus on what's going on in D.C. Well, the best way to change all that stuff is with local revival because it starts with you and it spreads. Um, it starts with you and your relationship with God. No, don't get idolatrous off that, <laughs> um, off the colloquial statements over here. Well, anyways, we will be back here in a moment to talk about Matthew chapter 9. All right, so thank you for joining us here at Kingdom of the Logos, and we're going to be moving into our B segment now where we talk a little scripture. Now, last week we examined a question that was given to me through a text message, and I want to bring up one that was shared with me by one of my parishioners here on Wednesday night and a lady who's in her mid-90s. So she has lived a long, full life and is still quite, quite sharp. And she brought up something very interesting from Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, where Jesus calls Matthew. And the reason why I want us to talk about this and share her question is it opens up the door to examine the environment for evangelism and the environment that actually facilitates people accepting Christ. You know, last segment we were talking about how we've got to rediscover the old networks in our neighborhoods. Well, that leads us to the question, well, what actually makes for a ripe moment for someone to answer the call of Christ? So let's jump right into our scripture and then I'll share the question that was shared with me and... We'll have a good time. Uh, Pastor Mike, would you read for us Matthew 9, verse 9? Absolutely. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he got up and followed him. All right. So what we find here is the call of Matthew. And as we were studying this, a lady in my church, she came and she said, do you think Matthew already knew who Jesus was? 
I would not randomly get up and follow someone <laughs> if they told me to do so unless I already knew something about them. Hmm. And that was really the, the heart of the question she asked me, though. In our conversation, she expanded a little bit. She said, do you think there are sort of seeds planted by others? Do you think that perhaps Matthew just had the correct eyes for godliness that enabled him to see Jesus? Or do you think there was some sort of deep conviction that was going on here that really was, in a sense, kind of supernatural in the sense that, you know, literally God is there talking to Matthew, and maybe there was some element of that that brought in, or perhaps maybe it was just providence. You know, Jesus is truthful, and all the actions around him are going to be reflecting the fact that he is fully God, fully man. He is there, the incarnation of the Word. Perhaps Matthew's mind intuitively picked up on this. So let's just open up with that. What do you think about Matthew's response. Do you think that he knew something about Jesus? And again, this takes us to the point where we are examining the environment that is Mm -hmm. ripe for evangelism and ripe for people to be receptive. So any immediate thoughts you'll have on this? I've got some other propositions here, but I'll let y'all respond before we get to those. You know, my immediate response to hearing kind of this different, like, was it, you know, was Matthew responding because the seeds were already planted by someone else? Did he have the eyes to see? Was he already seeking after Jesus or seeking after something? And Jesus, you know, was the answer to that? Was it just a Holy Spirit supernatural conviction? I I can already see the book title being written and there's like four different ways of evangelism or something like that. (laughs) Like um, that in my head, that's what my immediate response, like we could all teach a class at Trevecca, not that we're qualified to, but um, that was a joke. Um, But that, um, you know, or do a seminar at the district ministry center the four different methods uh, or the four different fields of of evangelism Uh, but I I think it's interesting though regardless of which one and I think like as we continue to talk we'll talk about these four different ones but regardless of which the reason was or what was you know how if the field was ripe or not for the seed to be planted uh, Matthew responds And I think it's encouraging, especially in the context of our last conversation in Section A, uh, that we are called to evangelize uh, regardless if the field looks ripe or not. (laughs) And um, and I'm mixing lots of different metaphors here, but, um, you know, it, it could be very likely that Matthew had heard of this, you know, strange carpenter turned rabbi from Galilee. Um, It's very likely Matthew had no clue Uh, who this person was before him. It it could have been a mix of a thousand different things, but for some reason, Matthew hears the the, the call of Christ and gets up and goes. And I think that's encouraging for us as pastors to hear because sometimes we're like, huh, you know, how do we evangelize to this person? How do we evangelize to that person? What do we do in this situation? What do we do with that situation? And and Jesus just goes, follow me. I, I would like to, um, you know, look at that that question. Um, do you do we think you know Matthew already knew who Jesus was? The question for each and every one of us is: Do we know exactly who Jesus is? And I think we can know certain things. And but to say that we know all there is to know about Jesus is placing Jesus in a box. And and I don't. You know, there we know Jesus is a God of love. We know that Jesus is fully human, fully man. That's what you know. We believe all of these things that we know, and still there is a great mystery that still surrounds. And I think this writing kind of has some of that mystery there. But if we go back and look at Matthew, 
I, I think, first of all, we know he's a tax collector, and we're also told uh, that, in uh, you know, by scholars, that Matthew's also known as Levi. Um, and so with this being the case, there is something about who he was named after. Uh, we know a little bit, but obviously he must be a, a Jew. Uh, and being a tax collector, that's a very unpopular uh, <laughs> position. And, and really, it's a, it may be a prosperous job, but there's something about this holy man, Jesus. Yeah. And maybe he doesn't know exactly what it is, but when he says come, it, it's, it is indeed a calling. And he doesn't, I mean, he, he can probably, I can only imagine that he's wrestling and saying, I'm not called to be a tax collector. Yeah. And when this Jesus comes, it just feels so right that he radically abandons everything to follow Jesus. And as much as I read this, I think this is just as much about us as it is Matthew. Sure. Hmm. And, you know, that's one of the big lessons in this is this kind of takes us to examine what is actually the ripe environment for people to answer the the call of Christ. And so I kind of want to go through these four different Mm -hmm. avenues of evangelism. And if either of y'all want to jump in for it, just kind of give me a hand signal and I'll turn things over to you. Um, The first one is that the importance of planting seeds. Now, historically, we know there was a lot of conversation about Jesus going around, even by Matthew chapter nine, you know. Things haven't fully gone to their fruition where you've got the 12, they've been sent out, stuff like that. This is much earlier on where Jesus is still calling people um, to assemble those those 12. But one of the things that is nonetheless interesting about it is there's a lot of people who go and they do spread word. Obviously, there's been some communication throughout the various regions that there is this strange new rabbi. So there certainly would have been seeds planted by others. So there is something which is possible. And, you know, planting seeds for righteousness, they don't, they don't hurt. <laughs> that is something which is good to do. So definitely we can learn from that. There is an element that says we need to be planting seeds because you never know what fruit is going to, to come from that. Um, well, and I was just going to say something we've discussed at, at Trinity a little bit recently, and it's an old saying that says, like, share your testimony, use words if, if necessary. To basically uh, say that, and I think that's the thing, Probably Matthew sitting at his text collector booth, he, he probably didn't get like the whole rundown. There wasn't like a wanted poster for Jesus that depicted yeah. him and like, you know, be looking out for this guy. But something by just the words and the actions of people as they had encountered Jesus and as that word began to spread, uh, Matthew was probably able to recognize something about this man from Galilee, this Jesus of Nazareth. And in the same for us is, again, it doesn't mean we don't ever go into that explicit evangelical kind of methodology, but even just our everyday lives, our everyday actions and attitudes um, can reveal God to people. And, sure. and it should reveal sure. God to people. And so um, I think that's important to note here because planting seeds, sometimes it is those things where it's like, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? And sometimes more often than not, it's just simply being not just a good person, but being a good person who hasn't encountered the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Yeah. And what we find here is there is some overlap between having eyes to see the seeds planted and then the seeds themselves. You kind of alluded at this, that for people who have that eye for godliness, which again is something which you kind of have to, to plant seeds to get there. There has to be some work and provenient grace of God to be interested in that. You know, Matthew, he may not have heard this direct testimony of Jesus or seen a wanted poster, but he certainly could have had eyes for godliness. Even mm-hmm. though he was a tax collector, 
you know, he may not be somebody who was fully educated in the law, but sometimes we find historically that those who are educated in the law are the most corrupt. <laughs> um, my, my, this is a time which is, or, or a, a trend which is true throughout time. Um, perhaps his role as a tax collector actually did give him some unique insight where he's kind of an outsider. He does have unique eyes for godliness, and that certainly could play a role. So that that is another thing that's relevant there. Pastor Mike? I think as we look at this this scripture too, I know you've used that example earlier uh in in some previous episodes about um uh, the 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 hammer horror movie of phantom of the opera and i i honestly believe that the sadducees the pharisees they probably wanted nothing to do with this tax collector uh this is a guy that's uh, somewhat um working for rome and and uh you know you know pulling in taxes sometimes it was not uncommon don't say matthew was overindulging himself into receiving some in his pocket. Doesn't say that, but that was probably custom for a lot. But with with that being said, Jesus, when we talk about planting seeds, I think a better terminology might be to say that Jesus invested in him. And of course, when you do plant seeds, you are investing. And yeah. Jesus this the rabbi no rabbis will talk to him no teachers no no pharisees no sadducees jesus says i will invest in you come yeah. and follow me and i think that is so attractive to this day and age people want to be invested in mm-hmm. and evil will invest in people yeah just and, like that movie yeah to, to just kind of explain that movie reference the 1962 version of the phantom of the opera which is not a musical but a horror movie from the hammer horror films which is not scary by modern day standards you know there's this young girl christine Again, it's similar to many other versions of the Phantom of the Opera. Christine, she wants to be a great singer. The guy that runs the opera house, kind of the producers, the owners, and managers, they they don't really treat her well. Some kind of like her. Some just want to abuse her and manipulate her. She's hungry, and she's looking for someone who will invest with her. She has eyes for that trajectory. And eventually a monster kidnaps her and drags her down to the sewers and says, you will be great, Christine. You will be great, and when you sing, you will sing only for me. And he kind of crudely slaps himself. And it's true. And and we, as the church, we have to realize people have eyes for certain things. If they have eyes for sin, we don't need to become sinful to get them to come to us. But people do have eyes and ears for things, and we need to kind of focus on that and remember that sometimes if people don't have eyes for something, they won't be receptive to it at all. So you've kind of got to work with that and be knowledgeable of that and preach the gospel of Christ accordingly. So that's kind of that second role there. Uh, Moving on to the third aspect of this is the psychology of conviction itself. And this is the idea that says something actually is going on in in Matthew's mind where he recognizes sort of some Holy Spirit conviction. There's some supernatural element that goes there. And, you know, it kind of really is psychological in the fact that it deeply deeply changes his mind about things. There's some Mm -hmm. psychological effect of the Holy Spirit's conviction. That definitely plays a role. And I don't know about y'all, but I have... I am not God, and I'm not here to be an idolater, so I don't get to choose what or how God convicts. So um, that kind of is as it is, but going into the fourth aspect of this is kind of providence and intuition, the other side of psychology that we do have some playing in. And when I talk about providence, I talk about how when we make decisions throughout life that line up with the holy things of God, it really does shape the world around us. You know, everything Jesus has done has been extensions of the truth of who he is. And all the actions around Jesus bear witness through one way or another 
Sometimes there's witness given of Jesus by the demons crying out and squealing in anger. When you, you see the right people angry at something, that kind of tells you something. And perhaps Matthew's mind just intuitively picked up on the persistent providence of truth that was surrounding Jesus, which also reminds us something which Amanda was articulating earlier. Living out the gospel can have a great witness in and of itself. So any final thoughts on this as we wrap this conversation up? Well, I think just how, as I said earlier, that this story is a great reminder for, for pastors or men. Well, we believe in the ministry of all believers. So a great reminder for all believers to simply be faithful, uh, regardless of what fields or environments we find ourselves in. It also is a great reminder for us in our response that we do see, again, regardless of what was going on through Matthew's mind when he hears the call, uh, come follow me, he chooses to go. And so we have to then be willing to respond. And and sure. probably if you're watching this video, you're at least somewhat familiar with Christianity, um, or you, you know, you may be another pastor. But even regardless of how little or how much you know about scripture or Christianity, uh, every day, we, we have to make that choice to follow Christ. And, and again, it, it uh, it's, it can be difficult, but it, it is something that we have to be willing to have eyes to see and ears to hear to continue to do. Yep. Uh, I think, you know, never, ever underestimate the power of the presence of God and Jesus being there. And so as the body of believers, is, as Amanda said, the the body of believers is a priesthood and every believer is a priest, that that is one of the roles is to bring the presence of God. And yes, people have to respond, but never underestimate um, the, the power of the presence of God and how it can transform and how people may, may, may respond. All right. Yeah. Well, on that note, we'll be back here with our final segment. And we thank you for joining us. This next one will be a little bit more fun and hopefully a little bit more lighthearted than what we've discussed so far, but nonetheless meaningful. The good Lord giveth, and the good Lord taketh away. And in the same way that evil watched God use words to create, evil has also sat around and watched God and decided it wants to do counterfeit versions of the things that God does. And some idolatry giveth, and some idols taketh away. We're going to be playing and adding a new game that'll <laughs> sporadically show up in our program called Giveth and Taketh Away, where we weigh out different propositions. We number them, and we decide if that number should be drawn to an end. <laughs> and do they need to be more giveth or a little more taketh away? You know, our world is really hungry for accountability right now. So we're going to look at some lighthearted stories. Maybe in the future we'll do some more serious material. There's some serious stuff in this too. <laughs> but are we ready for this? Do we yes. kind of understand how this game goes? Yeah. You go giveth or taketh away. Got it. Got it? Yeah. All right. So our first story for today is an interesting one because... An Australian trucker, he managed to fight off a highly venomous snake while speeding down a busy road. Yeah, giveth some more speech. How about that? An Australian trucker, he's going down the street and he's fighting a venomous snake. This is totally a story out of Australia. So police in Queensland, Australia, they pulled over a 27-year-old man after finding that he was speeding and driving erratically. When they pulled him over, they found out that he had been combating an eastern brown snake that had crept into his truck. Now, the snake which had come into his truck, had tried to wrap itself around him. And this is one of the deadliest snakes in the world. 
Now, the man, he was driving 70 to 100 miles an hour, and he managed to keep the snake at bay using a seatbelt and a knife. And he ultimately <laughs> kills the snake while driving. And when he was pulled over, the video cam on the officer's thing, they captured him saying things, you know, I was driving around 100, and I started to break, and then I noticed the snake was there. The more I moved my legs, the more it was trying to wrap around me. Its head was striking at the chair between my legs, and he successfully fought it off. So, um, Pastor Amanda, giveth or taketh away on <laughs> take this. Take away. <laughs> like, take very, 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 very far away. <laughs> Pastor Mike? I, I'm going to... I'm going to go against uh, what Pastor Amanda said. I'm going to say giveth. Giveth me more men, mate, that can fight <laughs> off the the, uh, the the snakes, the serpents. <laughs> yeah. the worst Australian accent ever. Giveth more, it. mate. Giveth more. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Big giveth on this one. We need men to step up to the plate. If you're driving down the like interstate, fighting one of the most venomous snakes in the world that you didn't even know was in your truck. This isn't like a pet that escaped. It's like when I'm <laughs> rolled up on you and you're like, I've got a seatbelt like or maybe a knife in my pocket. We're going to fight to Is the death. Is he related to Steve Irwin? Wasn't Steve Irwin from Australia? Yes, I think okay, so. Okay, so yeah. I think so. Um, I mean, something about those Australians, And I also, Well, he they live in a continent over. with the most venomous snake. You hope they know how to deal with it. Give us more like that. Give us more. Give us more mates like I, that. I like how in Australia, you don't even pull over for this. You're like, no, <laughs> no, no, I'm okay. I've got business to do. <laughs> Just I, I, I'll, I'll deal with the snake while driving. Like, we'll, we'll Is that 100 kilometers an hour? 100 miles an hour? Yeah, that can't be 100 miles an hour. Um, it I doesn't matter. This is impressive. Well, yeah, I think 100 impressive. kilometers hours is still like 60 or something. So, oh, I mean, yeah. it's still With fast. A, in a big truck. Yeah. Well, I, I assume mean, he's hauling a lot. Driving any at any speed oh, yeah, while fighting any. to the death with, with the venomous snake. snake is and crazy. look at this seatbelt. What is the deal with the seatbelt? How do you fight a snake off with a seatbelt? Did he like sling it, I guess? I don't know. Whatever you got in hand. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Could have whipped it with a coffee mug or something. I don't know, but hey. I just drive off the cliff at that point. I just be like, nope. Well, moving along. So in Vermont, we also had something very, very interesting happen. In Vermont, a skydiver lost his prosthetic leg during a jump. And I don't know about y'all, but like I take my glasses off when I skin, swim. I, would you take your prosthetic leg if you're skydiving? I don't know. I don't know. But anyways, he lost his prosthetic leg while skydiving, and a farmer found it. Um, so word was put out on social media, and eventually the man was reunited with his prosthetic leg. So again... Third places have kind of been replaced by social media, for better or for worse. This is something conventionally you would have to go to the storefront to tell people, like, hey, if anybody's seen a leg out here, it's mine. <laughs> um, but the farmer, he was quoted as saying, you have to keep your eyes open because you never know what's out there. And he compared this to finding a needle in a haystack. Um, a, a leg in a... A leg in a soybean. Yeah. Uh, so what about this? Giveth or taketh away? I think giveth. I mean, it's just a very nice story, and not you know that somebody was willing to look out for it because, like you said, it is like a needle in a haystack. There's a lot of area in which this leg could have fallen in, but people were willing to look out, and thankfully they found it. So yeah. All right. I say giveth. Uh, and you, you know, you asked the question. He needs the prosthetic to land. Land on. <laughs> I guess. I yeah, I, I, I'm kind of in the mentality of take it the way the leg before you jump out. <laughs> um, maybe that's a big. I'm cruel. not. Yeah, you know, I'm taking the way on jumping out of airplanes personally. But <laughs> this is these um, are true statements. <laughs> well, I'm I'm fine with with that, but like no. it's a bit risky. Yeah. I kind of don't. Hey, yeah, hey, yeah. 
And not risky to jump out, but like risky to take your leg with it. Like a, I would expect that to be lost. Anyways, so carry no, on. No, it's risky to jump out. <laughs> right? um, yes. Anyways, getting on with our next story. So residents in Berlin, Germany, and I'm going to hold just a second before sharing this picture with you. Residents in Berlin, Germany, they noticed that their shoes were going missing, only to find um, a very nice culprit. Yes, there it is, a fox. That's right. So in Berlin, Germany, there is a fox who has a knack for stealing shoes. <laughs> Though in less unfortunate news, we get a picture of his collection. They found the fox's collection. I think he had stolen over 200 shoes. Wow. And at first, you know, people had described this as being a nice shoe collection. <laughs> and this is where people are going to send their pitchforks to me. If you have pitchforks to send over what I'm about to say, send them to 6186 Eaton's Creek Road, Jolton, Tennessee. I will gladly take them. For those who think that he has a good collection of shoes, I've got to admit, his particular <laughs> taste is for Crocs. <laughs> so, <laughs> probably not a nice collection. I don't know. I don't know. He's collecting Crocs. Give it or take it away. <laughs> I, I think give it because, um, yeah, obviously these people didn't. Yeah. Those are some ugly shoes. They need to be taken away. <laughs> hmm. Well, wait, wait, <laughs> this is an interesting angle. Are we saying give it from your perspective or from the fox's perspective? Because the fox is pretty much doing the whole taketh away. A, yeah, giveth more, taketh away. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh. Okay. I like that, yes. Yeah. Well, I'll go for a different reason. You know, with, with the, what's that saying that there's a fox in the hen house? Evidently, there's a, a fox over there close to the croc house or something. Um, <laughs> or whoever's wearing crocs. And so I'm with Pastor Amanda. Um, and I do have a pair of crocs, I think. Oh, I wore lots of Crocs when I was in high school. Like, it was the yeah. thing. Back in the 90s, that was it, wasn't it? Yeah, Amanda's Early got 2000s. the right face for it. <laughs> yeah. Just, hey, they, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, giveth. Giveth I'm, more I, fox. I like the giveth more taketh away. <laughs> because maybe the fox actually does have really good taste. And he's like, look, y'all, I'm trying to help you out. <laughs> go, I'm go trying to take the ugly shoes away from you. <laughs> right. All right. Well, our buy, last. Yeah, you can buy shoes that are comfortable and stylish. Yes, um, which again, I've owned a lot of Crocs. Um, but that being said, are you trying to say that the Fox is trying to promote better fashion? <laughs> yes. I'll take this away. Yes. You'll buy something better next. I don't know. Yes, we'll, I don't know if it was thought out that much <laughs> by the Fox, but Foxes are known for being clever, clever and sneaky, and yeah. Well, before you ruin this by putting, giving the. Don't let us not have the fox's motive here. The fox is clearly trying to help people out. Um, getting towards the end, though, we have one final thing for you right. to, to examine. All right, so people love their pets, and one of the marks of a luxurious society is for everyday people to sleep with their pets. Now, one couple in California has taken things to an extreme, not by merely sleeping with their pet micro pig, which we have a picture here of their micro pig and their dog, but in fact, this couple, they have not one, but seven micro pigs in their home and they allow the pigs to get in bed with them. Now, <laughs> micro pigs can get up to 200 pounds, so obviously they're not sleeping with all seven micro pigs at once, but it is an option. Like It's, it's something they're willing to entertain. More <laughs> of this or less of this, giveth or taketh away? I, I think um, giveth if you enjoy sleeping with your pet. Um, also, I thought it was funny, the angle I thought you were going to go with this because you're like a luxurious society is that you can sleep with your pet, but then the picture of, is of two pets sleeping together, so it's like, 
we've reached a new level of luxurious when not just humans sleep with their pet, but the pet sleeps with their pet. <laughs> and so, oh, um, yes. but for all of that, um, I know my husband tries to get our dog, uh, Duke to sleep in the bed with us and Duke does not like it cause the bed's up high, but also Duke's a almost 90 pound dog and, so, and he's a greyhound. So there's a lot of like mass involved, sure. uh, where I don't personally want the dog in the bed with me, but if it was a small little cuddly one, I wouldn't mind that like a micro pig. That stayed micro, not the 200-pound version. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor Mike, take it the way. Take it the way. Don't sleep big with... big take it the way. Yeah. Big take it the way. Don't sleep with hogs and dogs. <laughs> Do well, you wake up with bacon and fleas? You, uh, you may. You may. <laughs> you know, my little dog, Charlie, which he, he's passed away now, that little dog, he would come and beg, and he would, he would like, lie. Like dogs are capable of being mischievous. He whenever there would be a thunderstorm, he would he would do like his face like he said. But the the tail of him would be wagging. Like the dog was totally not scared. His body language was was very much an artificially created manipulative body language. He was like, Hey, let let little dog get in the bed with you. Um but anyway, so that's what we've got. So we'll wrap up our program there. We thank you for spending time with us here. And perhaps some more giveth and taketh away in your own life. We need to giveth more neighborhood networking. And even if people get a little bit upset about it and want to call you names, you know, the accuser always wants to accuse. But let's get out and revitalize those local networks because that is where the root of revival will be found in our nation. It will start locally as people, they turn their hearts to God and God works. If we stand on God's principles and against the, the doctrines of demons, good things can happen. So any final thoughts as we wrap up? Any predictions or interesting things you saw seen this week? Maybe uh, some third places you want to return to? Uh oh man, the movie theaters were supposed to open up today and um and uh, Regal has extended that till late August and I mean I, I they get they have to do what they think is best for their company and employees, so I don't begrudge them that. I just wanna go back to the movie so bad. Yep. Um I do I but my prediction is traffic's getting worse in Nashville. It was it was good. There was like this brief moment when four forty was finished but people weren't out all the way and it was just you could cruise and it was nice. And now people are getting out more and it's not nice. Yeah. So Pastor Mike Um You know I, I I I'm not gonna make a prediction, but I will say that this whole third um, place, I, I believe people are extremely hungry for it as well, yep. and and I think it's just like uh, uh, the whole Matthew in the in the Bible study where Jesus says, "Come," and, and he's hungering for something and maybe doesn't know exactly what it is. I still think that there that the third place is going to make a dramatic comeback with or without COVID in the future. Hmm. Uh, I, I hope so. Yeah. And we're, we're going to have to, it's not going to happen by its its own. You know, people aren't naturally sanctified. It takes a lot of work um, on us answering the call of God. So um, just wrapping this up, uh, I guess my prediction is there's a very sad dog at home who is probably wet. My dog likes to go and get <laughs> in the pond when I'm away. In, he knows not to do it, but he also knows when I'm away, he thinks he can get away with stuff. He's a blue healer <laughs> and is very rambunctious. So that's my prediction for today. I'm going to go home and find a stinky, wet dog, oh. and we'll have to give him a bath. But he won't be in the bed. Uh, no. <laughs> he, he would like to be in the bed, but no. So anyways, on that, God love you, and have a blessed day. Let's wrap up. Pastor Amanda opened in prayer. Pastor Mike, would you close us in prayer? We'll wrap that up. Absolutely. Almighty God, we thank you for 
uh, the conversation that's had around this table. And we pray for those viewers who have been watching. And, Lord, uh, pray for their comments to come in, Lord, that they uh, that we're able to continue that dialogue. And, Lord, just as much as Pastor Dylan has said many times, may this be supplemental material that, that they will be part of a, that church, that third place where interaction face-to-face happens. So, Lord, uh, we pray that uh, your the fellowship is not just with one another but also with you. So help us, dear Lord. Uh, may your spirit rest upon each and every viewer and all of those of us here in this room. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 And on that note, God love you and have a blessed day.